Well, good morning, everyone. Well, you know, I love to come to uh, Gospel Light Baptist Church, and I tell you why. Uh, because I love your preacher and his family, obviously. Uh, that's, a, that's a given, isn't it? That's a given. But uh, I love coming to a church that doesn't, that doesn't see their uh, praise and worship time and their song service as a filler. Amen. You know, sometimes you come to a place and the song service is like the ad break before the real show comes on or the pre-game entertainment before the game starts or it's just the sort of the filler until we get to the real thing. I think we've already had a sermon in song, don't you think so? I think we've already had a sermon in song and, and you know what praise and worship does for you? Praise and worship sets you up and I hope you get that, I think your church does get that, that see, see teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we've been taught this morning. We've already been taught We've already been admonished because it sets you up for life. See, that's what your praise and worship time is for. So as you go through the week and you hit a struggle or you hit a trial, which you're going to hit, you know how to automatically respond. See, praise and worship teaches us how to automatically respond in the trials and struggles of life. Isn't that a great time? That's why it is so important. What you've just done here this morning is just an incredibly important part of your worship experience because it sets you up for life and teaches you how to respond in life. And I'm so glad I was part of that this morning. Uh, Thanks for letting me be here. And if you're a guest here today, I am not the pastor, as you probably figured out. Uh, I don't speak the way you speak. It's a little bit different. But I'm so glad you're here. And if this is your first time to Gospel Light Baptist Church, uh, please come back. And uh, you will, you'll be blessed with the preacher and these, these people here. You are amongst incredibly friendly people. If you're a guest here, or if you're a visitor, if you're a regular here, aren't you glad that you come to church, not out of religious tradition, but you come because you really do believe that there is a God who is passionately interested and wants to be involved in your life. And that's why we're here this morning. So let's get our Bibles open to Matthew 25. And I want to talk to you uh, this morning about a... Well, it's, the title in your worship guide is called Have a Go, Your Mug. Now, that's an Australian colloquialism. Now, I realize you don't say that here in the United States, but I've tried to give you an interpretation of it. See, in Australia, we use all types of uh, uh, different expressions. I don't understand really why we use them. We just use them. Like, for example... Uh, we would call this, sometimes people refer to this as a bag of fruit because it, it rhymes with suit. I, I don't know why we do that, Joe, I don't know why we do it, but uh, we do that. We would say, just have a Captain Cook at that. And you'd say, a Captain Cook, well, you've got to think what it rhymes with. It rhymes with look. So you'd say, have a look at that. So you'd say, have a Captain Cook. Or you'd say, uh, you know, someone gives you a check and you put it in your pocket Someone might say, oh, they gave me a Gregory Peck and I put it in my skyrocket. I don't know why we do that stuff, but we do that. And there are, there are little expressions, there are sort of Australian colloquialisms. Uh, well, I've tried to figure out um, how this relates to you. And I watched you guys uh, play softball yesterday. I've seen on your television here your baseball games. If a guy got up and he was standing at, you call it the plate? Yeah. The plate? He's standing at the plate. I'm ready to bat like this, but you've got to bat like this. He's standing there holding this bat. 
and the guy pitches the ball and he never swings, what do people yell out to him eventually? Swing, swing at it, you loser. <laughs> Ready? That's what it means to say, have a go, you mug. Yeah, you understand it? Now you understand it. So we use that expression often in uh, maybe a sporting event or in something in life where you look at somebody and you say, why didn't they just have a go at it? And if they don't have a go at it, they're a real mug. Oh, you're a mug, you know. Our, our Prime Minister started off 2014 this year and, and addressed our nation. And his address to the nation was this. He said, I really just want all Aussies to have a go. Now, he didn't throw in your mug because it, wouldn't, it would have been probably unbecoming of his office as the Prime Minister, you know. So he just says, I want all Aussies to have a go this year. Maybe start a new business or build a new home or start a new career or, or, or get into more education. And what he was saying was, just get in life and have a go at it. And I think all of us understand there comes times in life where you see an opportunity after it has passed you by. And you think, oh, I should have had a go at that. Why didn't, I, why didn't I seize that opportunity in life? It just passed me by. And we, we, we live in the world of I, I should have, I wish I did, I, I, I want, oh boy, why did I miss that opportunity? And I want to say to you this morning, just have a go, your mug, when the opportunity is there in front of you. Have a go, your mug, that's what you need to do. Uh, you, you may have gone shopping and you've gone down and you saw some things on sale. And you, saw, you thought, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, no, I won't. And you walk away and you think, ah, oh, I should have got it. And you race back and all, it's already gone. And you think, ah, oh, and it, I should have had a go at it right then. I was on a plane flying from Brisbane in our country to Sydney. And I got, uh, I got bumped up to what you call first class. And it was a smaller plane. There were only 12 seats in, in first class. And I was there and I, I got bumped up and I was in not row one, not row two, I was in row three and there were four seats. And I noticed when I got on the plane, there were only four people, there were only three other people plus myself. We were all sitting in row three and I thought, oh, plane must be empty and they've just bumped a few people up just to make a few people look like they're in business class or first class. We're getting ready to take off and uh, they close the curtain between the first class and economy section. Then I noticed some people walk on the plane and I thought, I recognise that person. And it was a couple of children and some adults and I thought, that's Angelina Jolie. I thought, oh, that's who that is. And so she's sitting in seat one and her children are around her and a couple of her nannies and security. And, and I'm sitting there thinking my whole flight, I need to go and get a photo with Angelina Jolie. Obviously not for me, but for my children to prove that she was there. And then I thought, now what do I need to do? I need to get up there and I need to get a really good photo because then I could sell it to the paparazzi and make some money. And I, could, I, should, I need to do this. And I'm thinking through, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? And I got through the whole plane flight and I uh, stood up from my seat and I thought, well, I'll take it stealthily. And so I've got up from my seat and I'm just sort of <laughs> hitting my phone like this. All I got was the back of seats and a blurry photo and I didn't get it at all. And later on I thought to myself, how stupid was I? 
Why didn't I just go up and say, excuse me, Miss Jolly, would you mind if I take a photo with you and take a selfie, you know? <laughs> Some of this. And, and I thought, sometimes in life you think, what an idiot you were. Why didn't you just have a go, you mug? Why didn't you do that? And Jesus comes to this incredible parable in Matthew 25, and I think what he's teaching us is this. He's teaching us that we don't want to live and end up our life living in a place called regret. It's a terrible town to live in. A terrible place to live is a place called regret. And he gives us some information on how to avoid this place. Look at with me in chapter 25 and verse 14. Jesus speaking, giving one of his many parables, and, and you understand a, a parable is not a true story. A parable is a made-up story. A parable is a fiction story. But Jesus is giving us this story to try to help us understand something about God. So we would, in our finite minds, could understand something about an infinite God. So here is what he says in uh, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man. Now he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is not this, but it's like this. So you can understand it. It's as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents. To another, uh, and to, uh, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And here is Jesus giving us this illustration, and he's going to, I'll read the rest of it in a short time. He's trying to help us to understand, I want to teach you about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the way God operates in this world. The way God would operate if he was in charge of the government of the United States, how God would rule things, how God views our lives, how, what God's take is on everything. The kingdom of heaven is as. He's trying to get us to understand this so that we don't live through this life and end up in a place called regret. This is what he's trying to get us to grasp here. And he says there was a, a man who, who was traveling and giving his... Uh, gave some of his money away to his servants. Now, I want you to get this as well as we begin this. To understand the power of this text, you cannot approach it with an American mindset. You can't do it that way. You can't approach it with an Australian mindset, not that you can do that, but uh, you can't approach it that way because he's talking about here, he's talking about a time where there was a caste system. If you were born a slave, you would always be a slave. If you were born poor, you will always be poor. You never get out of that caste. We live in a democracy like you do, which uh, senses a, a sense of responsibility to always improve yourself and educate yourself and, and increase your level of living or try to do more. Well, in the world Jesus lived in, if you were born a slave, you're always a slave. Well, here is a, here is a situation where there is a massive gulf between what we're going to understand is someone called the Lord or the Master and someone called the servant or the slave. There's a, there is a social gulf between these two. The Lord and the Master lives on a certain social level 
that the servant will never, ever enter into. The, the Lord lives on a certain economic level. He owns all this stuff that the servant will never have. He owns nothing. He has nothing. He's a servant. There's a massive gulf, and yet there's a conversation between the two. And surprisingly, the kingdom of heaven, God's way of viewing things, not the kingdom of man, God's way of viewing things says this, the Lord takes his stuff and gives it to the servant. We would think, what an idiot, because he gave his stuff to the servants, to the slaves, and then the Bible says, and took off and left. Who would do that? Who would give your money, which we're going to find out this is, who would give your money to a slave and then run and then leave? No one does that. Well, that's the kingdom of man, see. The kingdom of God is like this. And could it be that God is saying, uh, hello, I'm the Lord, you're the servant. And just as there's a great gulf between them, so there is between me and you. But I came down to you. That's what Easter's about. I came down to you and I have gifted you. And now I've taken my journey and I've left you with stuff. Now have a go, your mug. Use the stuff I've left you with. Use it. Because I'm coming back one day and there's a great gulf between us. You're not me, but I came down to you and I've given you this stuff. And here's the first point, if you want to write some things down in your notes, you can jot this down. I want you to write this down to begin with. Understand, understand that you have been gifted by God. Understand that you have been gifted by God. Every single one of you sitting here this morning have been gifted by God. There's not a person here today that has not received a gift from God. The fact that you are breathing is a gift from God, amen? The fact that you are even sitting here today is a gift from God. The fact that you live in the country of the United States of America is a gift from God. Do you understand that? This is a gift. And, and many of you have to realize this, that if I don't understand that I have been gifted by God, I may very well not appreciate what God has gifted me with. I may very well not use what God has gifted me with. I may very well not protect it or treasure it. I will just neglect it or misuse it. And there is so much stuff in every one of you. Some of you have got incredible, incredible creative abilities that God has gifted you with. Some of you have resources God has gifted you with. Some of you have talents. Some of you have opportunities. Some of you have all these things that God has been gifting you with. But here's what I want you to notice. There were three servants, one master. He distributes to each of them but he never distributed to them equally. He gave to one five talents, he gave to one another two talents, and another one talent. So we might call them brother five talent, brother two talent, and brother one talent. We don't know their names. So he's done that. But here's what I understand. He gave it to them according to their several ability. That tells me the master has been watching them. The master has been observing each of his servants' work. And as he's, he knows what they're capable of. And he's looked at them and said, that one there 
is capable of handling five talents. That one is only capable of two talents. That's okay. That's who he is. That one's able of one. That's who she is. He can handle that. And God looks at that and the same master gives the same, gives across to all of these, these servants different amounts of talents. Now here's where the problem comes in. Many of us look at each other and if we're not careful, we will be distracted by the discrepancies that are amongst ourselves. And we will say, why does that person get a better opportunity than me? Why has that person got an ability that I don't have? Why have they got something that I didn't get? And we're distracted by brother five talent because I'm a brother two talent. And, and also, brother five talent, you notice, doesn't get proud that he has five. And says, oh, aren't I a good person? I, I, I have more than this person. God just gives us an illustration of these men distributing this. Now, we might think this. You know, that doesn't seem very fair. That doesn't seem fair. Why didn't he give them three talents, three talents, three talents? That would be fair. But I want to tell you this morning that God is not fair. Do you understand this? God is never fair. God is just. And if you understand that you have been gifted by a just God, you never get your nose out of joint, you never get uh, envious of others, you never get discontent because you realize God is a just God. For example, he, didn't, he, he looked at brother one talent and it would be unjust for him to give him three talents because he only had the ability to handle one talent. How unjust would it be for God to give him more than he was able to bear. And we have a God who will not even suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear, because we have a just God. And God will give you the opportunities that you can handle. God will give you the resources you can handle. God will give you an open door that you can handle. That's just. And that's the God in whom we serve. And God knew what we could handle before he ever gave it to you. And this is, this is the economy of God. God looks at that. And I want you to understand this morning that you realize that I have been gifted by a just God. And I need to understand what I, what I possess is a gift from God. Just as this master has given these talents to his servants. But here, even though they had different gifts, different talents given to them, there is one thing that every one of these servants have in common. And this is what I want to point out to you. Every one of these servants have something in common, and there is something that every person here this morning has in common. You might have, granted, some of you may have greater abilities than the other one, greater resources than the other person, greater situations in life than the other person more education than this one, less education than this one, all of that. But here is what every single one of you have in common. It's called an opportunity. It's called an opportunity. Now, I want you to understand something. This is the kingdom of God. God is not concerned with what you have. God is very, very concerned with what you do with what you have. In the kingdom of man, we value status and value position in life by what we have. That person has, a, has more education, therefore there are certain more important. That person has more, more influence or more possession or more 
you know, whatever position of life and now they are greater than the other. God doesn't look at it that way. God says, I'm really not interested in what you have, whether you have five, two or one. What I'm interested in is what you do with what you have because I've given each of you an opportunity. Point number two is this, learn to use the opportunities that God gives you. And I specifically chose that word opportunities. I specifically said, use the opportunities. I didn't say this, use the gifts that God has given you. Use the education God has given you. I've said this, use the opportunities God has given you. Because each of these men, who were his servants who were given stuff, God is saying, I've given you stuff. It's not about what you have that's important. What's important is what you do with what you have. Now, let's look at the mentality of Brother Five Talent. Look in verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. You see what he just did? He looked at what he had and said, boy, what can I do more with what I have? Look at what I have. Look at this opportunity. What can I do more with what I have? That's what he looked at. Brother Two Talent likewise did the same. Look what he says in verse 17. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. He went and did the same. He went and traded. He worked out some stuff and thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm racing against my own creativity here. What can I do more with what I have? And I want to encourage you this morning that every one of you have something that you have. And God is saying, what are you going to do with what you have? Just have a go, your mug, with what you've got. Look at what you have. You have opportunities. Here is an opportunity. You look at a setback that you've got right now, there's an opportunity for a comeback. Right there. You've got a job right now, there's an opportunity for a career. Make it into a career. Turn it into something. You've got a situation, you've got a house right now, turn it into a home. You've got, you've got these situations, you've got a child God has given you, turn it into a godly adult. Use the opportunity that God has given you. There is nothing as wonderful as an opportunity. But here's the problem. Many times opportunities come and opportunities go and I didn't see it. You have to have perception. And you look at things and we all know that. We often see the opportunity in hindsight and think, why didn't I see that? Because opportunity doesn't do this. Hello, I'm an opportunity. You have to have perception and say, God, there is a risk involved here. What am I going to do with this? Is, this? is this something I need to jump into? Is this something I need to lead out into? And you need to look at that because many times you could look at something that seems to be an opposition in your life and you think, oh, this is, I can't do anything. I've got to step back. I've got to pull back. I, and God is saying, no, it's an opportunity. For example, when I was younger, I lived on a place called the Sunshine Coast in, in uh, Australia, and it was a, um, a surfing town, a lot, of white, a lot of surfing, and my wife and I used to go surfing together all the time. And I remember one time I was out there and I was, and I was driving along the road, and the place where we used to surf wasn't gigantic surf, but the, we had a cyclone happening. Like you get hurricanes, we get cyclones. This spins the other way, that's the only difference. And it's a, a massive big cyclone. 
and it creates huge, huge waves, as you know. Well, I remember driving along and seeing cars pulled up everywhere. I thought, what's going on? And I race over and I pull up, race over and have a look, and there were two professional surfers out surfing in this gigantic surf. I mean, massive, massive surf. And everyone's there watching them. There was Rabbit Bartholomew and Kong Elkington. I don't know if you even know those guys. But they were out there surfing. And everyone's going, Rabbit's out there, Kong's out there. And everyone's, you know, watching these guys, thinking this is great. And there was gigantic surf. And here's what I thought. Those waves to most surfers was an opposition. Everyone said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm getting out of that surf. To two people, they said, there's an opportunity. And they raced into what seemed to be an opposition, seemed to be a contrary wind, seemed to be something against them. They said, maybe maybe this would be a great opportunity. And they did. They were cutting up the waves, doing everything. And then there was another guy who thought, maybe I could have a go. And he's got out there. Amazingly, he got out in these waves. But what he didn't realize that they were five-talent waves and he was a one-talent surfer. (laughs) And... uh, those were five talent surfers that were already out there. <laughs> so they'd seized that. Well, that poor bloke, he's out there and the other two professional guys had come in. Meanwhile, the crowd has gathered to thousands on the shore with this one goober out there who couldn't, who really couldn't surf, but at least he had a go, you know? He, you know at least he had a go at it. He's out there and he'd try to take off on a wave and it was so big he's scared and pulls back and everyone's yelling, hey! yelling out to him. Well, then finally the rubber ducky, you know, the little rubber boat has to sort of go out there with the lifesavers, pick up this poor bloke and drag him back into shore and everyone's cheering him and booing him, all sorts of stuff. But here's what I thought, at least he had a go. He wasn't a mug. At least he got out there and had a go. And sometimes we look at stuff and later on you think, why didn't I do that? I'll tell you why I did it. You're a mug. You should have had a go, you mug. It was a great opportunity. And you need to say, you know what? I need to use the opportunities I have right now. So, as a teenager, a young teenager, you have opportunities that I don't have. And I was chatting with some people yesterday, some of the seniors here. They have opportunities that I don't have. They have the sage of wisdom that I don't have, that one day I will have, Lord willing, but I don't have it right now. And middle-aged people, you have opportunities that, that the younger people don't have and the older people don't have. Youth, young adults, you have opportunities. Look at the opportunities and use what you have. Amen. Well, I don't have what they have. It's not about what you have. It's about what are you going to do with what you have right now. You've got youth, use it. You've got age, use it. Look at the opportunities that come before you. And I want you to notice what takes place. Look at verse... Verse 18, and here is a little bit of a, as Jesus is telling the story. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now, we know what's going to happen. But I reckon as people are hearing this story, they're going, "Uh uh-oh, something's going to happen to this guy. Maybe it's not going to work out too good. The story continues. Jesus tells his story. Uh, Verse 19, and after a long time, God is so long-suffering, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful character servant. 
Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee what? You realize what God just did? He just closed the gap. He said, I'm pulling you out of your caste. You're no longer a servant. I've pulled you up to now become a ruler. And then he says this to him. I want you to do this. You're going to rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Enter into my way of life. Enter into my resources. Enter in. God just closed the gap. And I want to tell you what God does. God says, when you use the opportunities that I give to you, I will close the gap and give you even greater opportunities in life that you never thought that you would ever come your way. God is a God who wants to increase. God is a God who wants to use you above and exceeding above what you could ever ask or think. That's the God that we have. But you have to use the opportunities God gives you. You've got to have a go. God is saying, use this stuff. And he closes this. He says it to the number two guy. It says in verse 22, And he that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. And behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, but not as good as five talent man. He didn't say that. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Closes the gap. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You're going to be blessed because you used what you had. You used what you had. And then verse 24 kicks in and it's sort of, if there was music accompanying this story, up until now it's bright, boppy, happy, jubilant, celebratory music. You know, da, 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 all happy music. Verse 24, the whole tone of the music would change. It would now go to a somber, you know, dun, dun, dun. you know, it would have been psycho music, whatever, coming in because something's going to go wrong right now. <laughs> then, he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, Lord, I knew, he didn't say, Lord, thou, he said, I. Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawn. And all of a sudden, he's starting to blame, because we know what he did. He went and hid that talent. He's starting to blame the master. You know what? Really, I want to tell you something. I didn't use what I had because I know what you're like. And I know you're a hard guy and you're a guy, winner takes all, get more than your fair share guy, but at least I didn't lose it. And he says here, he said, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. He doesn't say behold, he says, lo, here it is that is thine. At least I didn't lose it. At least I still got something. And his answer why he didn't use what he had was the same answer that many times we give. He said, I was afraid and I hid sounds to me like I heard those words from the first sinner that ever existed on planet earth. Adam, I was afraid and I hid. First words that ever came out of a human, the first emotion that was ever expressed by a human, I was afraid and I hid. Let me tell you, I've come here to, this is really my message. I've come here to warn you of this. And here is the message. What did this guy do? He buried what he needed to expose and he exposed what he needed to bury. Which brings me to my third and final point, which I'll wrap it up, and this is it. 
I need to learn to do this. I need to uncover my gift. Uncover your gift and bury your fear. See, what this guy did was he buried his gift, his talent, his ability, his opportunity, his money. He buried it, and he, what he ended up exposing was his fear. I'm afraid. And you say, well, you know what? Uh, he, he says it was a little bit risky. I could At least I didn't lose what I had. Well, do you think brother five talent and brother two talent didn't have a risk involved as well? Of course there was a risk. They could have lost the five talents and the two talents. That's what Christian life is about. Risk equals faith. Risk equals vulnerability. Saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm doing the best I can with what you've given me. And I'm going to step out. I'm going to conquer fear by acting in faith. And I'm going to step out from here. And I wonder what it is this morning that might be keeping you from using what you have. I wonder what it might be this morning in your life that you would say, I would do this, but if I'm really honest with you, I'm I'm afraid. I know I should cut off that relationship, but I'm sort of afraid I'll be lonely the rest of my life. I I know I should, should, there's a person I know I should go and invite to Easter next week, but I'm afraid. And what you did, you just buried your opportunity and you've exposed your fear. And God says, don't do that. You'll live in a land of regret. Learn to bury your fear and act in faith and expose your opportunity and use those things. I, I, I know I should obey God. I know I should. I, but if I'm really honest, I'm afraid. I know I hear preachers say stuff, I read things, I get this niggling feeling inside of me, but I'm afraid. Your preacher and I have been talking about lots of things. Well, I love talking with him. I'm so thankful this church has said, we're going to step out and try to reach 21st century people. We're not going to bury our opportunity. We're going to bury our fear of what other people might say, of what other people might think, and we're going to use an opportunity to expose it. And because God has given you something, what are you going to do with what you have? And bury it. Use it. Because this guy here, I'll tell you why he buried it. I knew... I knew thou art a hard man. Well, did you know something that brother five talent and brother two talent didn't know? You both work for the same master. You all work for the same person. You understand our view of God can sometimes very much limit what you do for God because who you think God loves, what you think God blesses, what you think God uses will limit what you ever do for God. Because I knew... Well, could it be that the source of your misery is your own mind? Seriously? I mean, that's why I knew, did you? Well, I knew what God was like. I knew what God does. Do you? Hmm. Maybe God's saying, why don't you have a go, you mug? Kindly. Well then, verse 26, the Lord answered, 
See, see, brother, one talent had his speech. Well, now the Lord's going to answer him. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I strawed not. Thou oughtest therefore to put thy money to the exchanges that at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. And then he says in verse 30, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that guy is living in a world now in this parable? This is a story, remember. This is a fictional story, but here is a picture. That guy is living in a world going, gnashing his teeth, going, Ugh! Why did I? Ugh! Like you do when you've missed your opportunity. Ugh! I missed it. He's living in a place of regret. And when I read that, uh, Pastor Eric, I read it and I thought, I feel bad for him because I didn't see anywhere where he disobeyed his master. I didn't see where he disobeyed the guy. Nowhere in that parable does the guy say, now here's the money, go and invest it, trade with it, sell, gain, do this. He didn't do any of that. He simply gave him the money, bolted. So the lawyer comes out in me and I want to be the defense attorney for brother one. And I say, well, hang on, hang on. He didn't disobey any command of you, master. He didn't disobey you. He didn't do, he didn't not do anything you said. He, he just didn't do that. So why are you punishing him when he didn't disobey your command? And then the prosecutor stands up and says, there's one word in verse 27 that sinks my case. And it's the second word in verse 27 where it says, thou, see what he says? Autist. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the principles of the kingdom of God because you've now entered the world where God says, you ought, you ought to have done this. I didn't even need to command you. Welcome to the world of perception where you ought to perceive things as a Christian. Well, you ought to know what God would want you to do because of perception. For example, 1 John 3.16, hereby we perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Perception tells you what you ought to do. Men ought always to pray. You don't need to be commanded. The very, the very fact that God thought enough of you and me to give us anything ought to create in us a desire to say we better use what God has given us. You say, well, can you back that up? I'll back it up. I'll call in some witnesses. And I'll bring in some witnesses. And here's my witnesses. The ten lepers. Jesus says to them, go and show thyself to the priest you'll be healed. The 10 of them start walking. And as they're walking in the word and the command of Jesus, they look down and go, whoa, we're healed. We're healed. Nine keep walking to the priest in obedience to the command. One says, I've got to go back. I've got to go back and I've got to go back and worship him. And he gets back to Jesus and Jesus says, a question which is a little bit unfair. Where are the nine? Well, hang on, Jesus. 
You never commanded them to come back and worship you. You commanded them to go. Yeah, but they ought to have known to come and worship me. And sometimes I'm walking in what I think God has commanded. And yes, God said it. But there are other things God doesn't have to say. You ought to have known what to do. And the reason I did it many times is I was afraid. What will someone think? What, what possibly could I lose? Maybe this would happen. Maybe I better not. And I was afraid. What is it God is saying you ought to do this? Don't live in a land of regret. You ought to do this. Thank you, Pastor.